This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Packer and Durham. Power Hour is upon us as we continue to stream live on the ESPN app. Number for the show is 844-SAY-ACCN. Even more guests are coming your way in a matter of moments. Yeah, Debbie Antonelli, uh, Hall of Famer, and Link Jarrett coming up. 9.30, bottom of the hour, uh, either in Omaha or on the way to Omaha. we got to sort that out along the way. Um, but first, the upsets... In the ACC, Notre Dame and Tennessee last weekend sparked this conversation. We kind of showed you some in hour one, and we dig a little deeper here in hour number three of this program on a uh, Wednesday. And look who shows up here. 1997, NC State beats Syracuse 32-21. And Tremaine Stevens is involved in these highlights. Uh, Jamie Barnett and Tory Holt. I mean, the Wolfpack gets a huge road win at the Carrier Dome. 32. Look at the red pants. Come on now. There's Tremaine. That's a. Uh, I think that may have been uh, former radio personality Mark Thomas. There's Tory Holt. Now, There's if you're Jamie sitting, Barnett. if you're sitting at home going, "Where in the world did they come up with this game?" Uh, this list was compiled by the smart people in Bristol that use the point spread in football and basketball games as the differential to determine uh-huh. the largest upsets on this list. All right, so don't, don't go, go, hey, did you see that list, Packer and Durham? Getting, these guys, have they lost their mind? No, this is yeah. all based on point spreads, upsets, okay? So right. just give everybody the heads up on that. Yeah. Uh, 2017, the next stop. The Orange beat the Tigers 27-24, to Pack. Yep. It was a Friday night. Dome, we talked about this game yesterday, right? Sure did. Yep. No doubt about it. Guys were wide open. Clemson sound asleep, man. Syracuse had the place rocking. Tigers had some issues at quarterback from an injury standpoint. No excuse. Syracuse outplayed them, won the football game. There was, no, there was, nothing, there was nothing fluky about this. Other than the fact that Syracuse, yeah. I don't believe, won another game afterwards, which made zero sense. Made yeah. zero sense. Point. Huge upset. Uh, sure did. Uh, if there is a singular game that comes to mind in the evolution of ACC football in the modern era, it would be a Thursday night game in 1995 at Charlottesville. Because when Virginia beat Florida State that night on this play right here, Florida State lost for the first time to an ACC school, and seemingly it allowed everybody else to to exhale. Pack. Yeah, there was a uh, long period of time that there were a lot of ACC fans uh, once Florida State joined the league that said, "I'm not sure we're ever going to beat them. They may never yeah. lose another game in football in this league." I mean, they were that good. Bobby Bowden's teams 
were spectacular. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of figuring out, all right, at some point in time, who was going to be the first to do it? Well, Virginia was the answer to the question. I know Danny Cannell. I see that play every time I think of Danny, who says, you know, I still think he got in. He did not get in, Danny. It was an L. I didn't get in, Danny. Didn't get in. But it was a great night for Virginia, and boom. But Florida State elevated the league when they joined the conference. Clemson was good in the early 90s yep. with Danny's team once Danny was gone. But Bobby Bowden in Florida State took it to another stratosphere, and everybody in the conference had to go figure out a way to catch them. And it took a while. really did. Absolutely. Florida State was that good. Uh, 2000 is our next stop, and this is another one of those eight versus one round of 32 games in the NCAA tournament. North Carolina beat the top seed Stanford 60-53. to 53. There's Brendan Haywood going to work in Birmingham. Uh you know, there's Joseph Forte, a couple of three-pointers late at 17 points. Stanford, 27-4, and four, became the second number one seed to fall in the second round of the tournament. I, I, I just remember after North Carolina won, the amount of property destruction in Hoover, Alabama, right down the road that night, was immense. Uh, people just could not wait to tear up the joint after North Carolina's big win down in the great state of Alabama. Let's go, let's go to some social reaction, please, before we get to another one. Uh, Vince Pilata says, Pitt over Clemson in 2016 at yep. Death Valley. Yep. That would be a good one, too. Has to be on the list. Has to be on the list. Yep. And you know what? Actually, that turned out to be really the catalyst for Clemson to go on to win the national championship because mm-hmm. uh, that was a game really – Clemson at the end just couldn't get a first down. Pitt and kicks it, blew it with the field goal, right, from, what, 48 yards? Uh, I believe that's the last yeah. time Clemson lost a home game, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's, that's right. I think that's I mean, correct. let that marinate a second. But that was a great win for Pat Narduzzi and his guys. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Fish, SML Hokie, Virginia Tech beating Ohio State at the shoe. Yep. Speaking of losing and going on to win the national championship, right? Ohio State did that, but they lost the opener to the Hokies, right? Sure did. And I, I, I still remember doing the old radio show on Sirius XM. Ohio State fans calling me up about a month afterwards. Pac, what do you think of our chances to go to the playoff? I'm like, what are you talking about? You guys lost at home to Virginia mm-hmm. Tech. You don't play a ranked team till right. like Michigan State in the middle of November. Lo and behold, that's why you could still lose early, but you can't lose again. But uh, that was a tremendous win for Virginia Tech. Fantastic. Yep. No question. Uh, Mike Lewis always tweets to us. Appreciate that. Uh, Many Virginia fans will likely say 95 FSU. He's going with Virginia in 79, beating Georgia and Athens 31 to nothing. Wow. Wow. Year prior to 80s national championship team, Virginia's last winning season was in 52. Most shocking football upset in school history. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's back. Uh, Virginia going to Athens and winning like that. Mm. Yeah, that was back before they enclosed old Sanford Stadium. You used to have dudes sitting up on the railroad tracks watching the games there at University yep. of Georgia. Great place for a game now. That is yep. an awesome place for a game. Uh, last one here. Darudi, the miracle on Techwood Drive, 2015, Georgia Tech over top 10 FSU. Yep, the block kick. And then uh, Lance Austin picks up the block and runs it back for the score. 
That was a pretty good one. Hard to believe that was seven years ago. Yeah, no kidding. Saturday night game, the whole bit. That's why yeah. I said to you, and Roberto I mean, Aguayo. Yeah, remember a couple, I don't know, about maybe a month ago, we are talking about schedule pods and all that kind of stuff. That Georgia Tech-Florida State thing, that's why I said Georgia Tech-Florida State should be part of the combination because we don't see that game enough, in my opinion, Georgia Tech and Florida State. And they've had some classics. They've really played some tremendous games. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a game in 99 that Florida State right. won was an absolute shootout. You were on the call on Saturday night on ABC. Yeah. The uh, 99 shootout, that was a Musburger, Bob Greasy, Jackaroot, Joe Hamilton coming out party, but Florida State won. They had the ball last. That's I mean, literally, Florida State had the ball last and won the game. Uh, yeah, they've had some moments. When we come back on this program – uh, the ACC Title IX specialist tonight. And we're going to talk to our Hall of Famer. Debbie Antonelli joins us live to talk about going to the Hall of Fame in Knoxville and also the impact of Title IX here in the modern era. We'll do that next on Packer and Durham. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer in Durham. It is a Wednesday. It's hot. I mean, it is freaking hot in the South. Staying inside with the dogs today, I can tell you that right now. I'm not even messing around with it. 844-SAY-ACCN is the number for the program. Uh, Before we get to Debbie Antonelli live on this program, uh, the All-ACC Title IX show tonight, 8 o'clock, special look at the impact of Title IX on the lives of ACC student-athletes. And looking forward to having that for you tonight here on ACC Network. And here's Debbie in her own words about the importance of Title IX. I feel very strongly about this because I think you're always going to be on a team. It might not be a sports team. It could be a family. It could be a corporate setting. But you have to learn the dynamics of working inside a team. And that's what sport gives us. It gives us a chance to learn how to set goals and to fight for what you want, to overcome adversity, to make a mistake and to figure out how to solve it so you don't make the same mistake twice. You miss a ground ball, you don't quit. You miss a free throw, you don't quit. You figure out how to to fix it so that you can, you know, continue to move on and grow and and get better and serve other people. So that's what I think mostly sport does is it teaches us how to be a part of a team. And that is so important in society and it's so important in your own personal life. 100% right with that approach, Uh I guarantee you. There's the Hall of Famer right Uh there. How about that? Just Come like that. On. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Hey, guys. Good morning. I love seeing you guys. Thank you so much. Buongiorno. So uh, how was uh, how was Knoxville? Oh. Knoxville had to be great, huh? That was some special night. <laughs> it was really special. I had over 100 family and friends, extended family, former teammates, players, friends, longtime friends, uh, coaching friends it was really amazing and we celebrated so we had a great time every night we were up late and uh it was just really a wonderful chance to share so many fond memories with so many people along my path i'm very fortunate uh debbie number one that is part of the reason we wanted you on 
Number two, the timing with this event on uh, ACC Network tonight. And it's amazing. In the the 50th anniversary of Title IX, I've started to think of your college coach, Kay Yow. I've thought about Debbie Ryan at Virginia. I've thought about these true pioneers of women's athletics as it relates to basketball specifically. And, and really the road they, they cut for the success of women's athletics, particularly women's basketball as we know it today. Uh, do you remember anything specific Coach Yao said about the AIAW days or anything you've <laughs> heard from coaches who kind of carved that path? Well, I was fortunate I did not play in the first NCAA tournament for women, but I played in the second. So obviously the teams that I grew up watching at NC State that Kay coached were teams that played in the AIAW. And that was such a significant part of someone like me getting a chance to experience basketball. I didn't know girls played in college and I didn't know you could get a scholarship for doing so. And that had a Mm -hmm. profound influence on me because that's when I decided I wanted to be a college basketball player. And I worked and made every decision to try to do so. I don't really remember Coach Al uh, spending a lot of time talking about driving vans or, you know, washing clothes herself. Actually, when we got to NC State, we had the finest that you could have at that point. Uh, Coach Al and Norlin Finch were instrumental in making sure that NC State, as Debbie Ryan did at Virginia, as Sylvia Hatchell at North Carolina, Jennifer Alley before her, uh, Chris Weller at Maryland, I could go right down the list of former coaches in the ACC that made choices to fight for women to have a chance to play because we all realize today, at least we hope we realize, the impact that sport can have on young women and what it can do to help the future leaders in our country. And Um, You know, we had the best equipment. We had the best gear. We had the best shoes. We had the best stuff. We just did. I don't remember fighting for gym time. Kay Yao and Jim Valvano had a great relationship. So we shared Reynolds Coliseum or we went over to Carmichael and practice. We both did that. We didn't have a practice facility or any of that. I think it was because Coach Yao and Coach V had such a great relationship that we were able to have lots of opportunities. But that doesn't dismiss how hard it must have been to get there. I just know that for our teams, we we were able to have the best of the best that was available at that time. Debbie, obviously the progress is pretty obvious where we've come in the last 50 years. And when you crystal ball, where you think women and college athletics and that combination go, what do you think the next 10 years looks like? Well, what, 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 what improves? Well... First of all, you know, through my eyes, the, the way the game has evolved and changed over the 40 plus years that I've been involved in it and 34 as a broadcaster. So I've watched up close how the game has changed, how the players have gotten better, the resources, the coaching, all of it. But I still think there's another level from a, a marketing and promotion standpoint. You know, back in the early 90s, I was giving away a car at games at Ohio State and I was creating corporate hospitality around Ohio State women's basketball. And I was doing all those things 20 plus years ago. And uh, I think there's a whole other level that we need to dip into. Diversity, equity and inclusion money from a corporate standpoint has always been available. It's there We just don't have anybody selling our product at the highest level. I think there's a lot of women's teams and programs and players that are tired of being what we would call in the industry bonus inventory or added on value. I think we have our own value and I think that's the part that we need to stand up and start selling. 
our product are good in women's sports and to sell the products and mainstream it in corporate America, as we're starting to see, I think is the next step in the next 10 years. I think we'll have a lot more household names around women's sports. The, the, the interesting part for me is it feels like basketball is the core force but there's also other sports. I mean, we've just spent a, a, a terrific spring talking about women's lacrosse and the ACC. Softball has captivated the American sporting public to a degree on the college side. I mean, the numbers off their event in Oklahoma City, again, are terrific. It feels like soccer in the fall has some momentum. I mean, it feels like women's basketball is that is the co- earth core of that wheel, if it makes sense. And it, it helps everybody else also create their own movement through the solar system, if you will, of acceptance. Well, of course, I agree with you on that, Wes, because I'm a basketball player. So I've always felt that we led the charge early on. I think that's where the resources came from early was in women's sports, went to basketball. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Jamie Ortega. Let me just give her a shout out at North Carolina on winning the national championship. That is huge. Uh, I would have never known Jamie Ortega's name if it wasn't for a part of your show and some other ways that I happen to know Jamie. But, yeah, I I think, um, you know, I think their basketball is the centerpiece. I, I think there are some sports that understand that. Certainly softball is not taking a back seat. Their ratings have been outstanding. They've done a fantastic job of making their sport viable. But I don't want to get in trouble, but I'm just going to tell you, you know, Oklahoma City added on to that facility that is a destination city for softball. I think uh, in the, the D.C., Baltimore area, that becomes a destination sort of area for lacrosse. We know Cary, North Carolina is a destination for soccer. We don't have that in women's basketball, and we should. I can't wait to see what the ratings are going to be in Omaha for baseball. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, advocating for now 14 years for a Sweet 16 to a particular <laughs> destination city that I think would actually absolutely impact our game and take it to another level. Uh, but I, I think there are other sports that are doing that. And, um, you know, basketball is still – the, the, the focal point, if you will, and I think it will continue to be for right now, but don't be sleeping on softball and volleyball. They are inching up. And lacrosse, there's a lot of little girls in my neighborhood playing soccer and lacrosse. You know, what happens yep. in Vegas stays in Vegas, but I will not go there. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I can vouch, uh, Debbie, on our show how often Wes and I have had a conversation with a student athlete playing a woman's sport, whatever, you name it, you name it. And we get done with the interview and go, man, what a great personality. Smart, terrific mm-hmm. at what she does. Obviously very talented from an educational standpoint. I think there are so many cool storylines that are so untapped in women's athletics. Because let's be honest, quite frankly, football runs the show. It does what we're talking about, college football, the NFL, whatever the case may be. Basketball is certainly right there, but football is still the king. But there are so many sports that are untapped. And I think there's so many cool storylines that when you get a chance to do interviews like we do on our show on a consistent basis and you find out about Charlotte North. I mean, two years ago, if Charlotte North knocked on my front door, I'd say, I have no idea who she is. Now she's a superstar, right? I mean, superstar. And what she does on the next level professionally, who knows what that's going to be. But between name, image and likeness. Uh, women's athletics now having a larger, broader band in terms of what you see on television, what you see on radio interviews, online, whatever the case may be. 
I think it's a completely, totally untapped universe. And it goes back to your answer about five minutes ago regarding marketing and sponsorship opportunities. We know about the NFL. We know about college football. Quite frankly, we know a lot about men's college basketball and some college female basketball, right? Women's basketball at marquee locations. But there are so many sports that are still, I think, in the no man's land that have not received the attention yet that I think that is inevitable that that's coming out next. And believe me, advertisers are looking for the next biggest, coolest, brightest thing. And I think we're kind of seeing that with softball right now because that sport has Mm -hmm. been so conducive to television. It's fast. It's quick. The women are incredibly talented. It's a two-hour sport. There's offense. There's stories. There's great personalities. And that sells. So I, I think we're just scratching the surface on the big picture. I really do. I, I agree. I don't want to dive into a big marketing discussion or, um, you know, marketing 101, but, you know, product, price, promotion in place. I mean, the four P's, you know, the product is really good. That's what I sell. The rest of it will come together. The stories come because the product is good. When you go and watch, as you say, softball, for example, I mean, when you get locked into – what they're doing in Oklahoma City, and you start watching the competitiveness, the drama, the excitement, the skill level, the strategy, the tactics, how, how good of an athlete these young women are, um, that's exciting. And then the stories come from there. We just need to tell them better. We need to frame them up better. We need to put them in a mainstream, not put them at 3 a.m. We need to you know, do a better job of, of helping these young women tell their stories, share their inspiration of hope, share how hard it is to be a Division One athlete. That is not easy. You know, and um, let's see what happens, you know, with all the collectives and and everything. That's a whole other conversation about how it could impact women's sports. Some are going to rise to the top. And let's hope that the others don't fall behind because of it, uh, because the money is definitely going to dictate how things happen around college campuses. All right. One final note here about all the festivities last weekend in Knoxville at the induction in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. I know it's a huge night for mom, but I can only imagine the emergence of Frankie Antonelli's Rolodex <laughs> after uh, after several meet and greets at the Hall of Fame. Frankie do his best work. Frankie is outstanding. I mean, he could have his own company called the Party Starter. I mean, he is uh, Mr. <laughs> Personality. He has incredible meet and greet skills, and he's probably... Uh, my best agent, manager, and, um, you know, groupie, if you will, because uh, he is just outstanding. He's he's so much fun. Uh, and he got two shout outs right before I went up to speak. He looked at me and said extra credit, which means he wants to, his name to be called out twice. Uh, and he wants to make sure he gets his name called out more than the other two boys, Joey and Patrick, who, who definitely are willing to take a little step back when it comes to Frankie. That's why they're such great young men. <laughs> By the way, what was the final amount for uh, making free throws? What, what's our total? Uh, how'd we do? Oh, well, yes. Yeah, so uh, we're over $208,000, wow. which in four years puts us at 630. Hmm. And I will tell you guys, because I know you challenge me every year, then, uh, you know, I'm challenged to raise the bar. I shot 94.5% for the 24 hours. The last 12 hours. Heck. I made 1,200 at a 12.36. At 4 a.m., I made all 100. And uh, the last 12 hours, I shot 97%. 
So my average over four years is 93% in the driveway, raising $630,000 for Special Olympics. So cool. I always say it's not about the free throws, guys. You know that. But uh, the money is significant. And I think next year when we start talking about this, we're going to start talking about raising a million dollars for Special Olympics. And I couldn't be wow. more I couldn't be more proud. And, and I couldn't be more proud of the coverage that our company gave to Special Olympics National Games in Orlando last week. Very yeah. cool. That's awesome. That was cool. So great. Hey, Debbie, congratulations again. Uh, look forward to seeing you soon. We're, you know how proud of you we are. And uh, <laughs> thanks as always. Uh, Wes, I know you don't like it when I bring this up about our playing days. But you know what? For every little girl <laughs> like me that was allowed to play with the guys growing up, it definitely made us better. And every guy that sees a girl walk up with a ball, you better let her play because you have no idea what kind of game mm. she has if she's walking up on a court with a bunch of guys. There you go. All right. Be well. See you soon. Thanks, guys. All right. You bet. Debbie Antonelli, Hall of Famer, joining us here on ACC Network. When we come back, Link Jarrett is next. Next stop, Omaha for the Fighting Irish. We will talk to their head man next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham on a Wednesday star-studded show. I mean star-studded from the very get-go. And we're not done because uh, he joined us last week before he took his fighting Irish against number one, the biggest, baddest, greatest college baseball team ever assembled and went in there and took two or three against Knoxville and Tennessee. They're even road tripping to Omaha. Let's bring on Link Jarrett, Notre Dame baseball. There he is. Coach, first of all, good seeing you again. Uh, man, congratulations. I, I know you talked about it last week, how much fun it's been coaching these guys, but that was some kind of effort and performance and accomplishment pulling off what you did against Tennessee. That's a great baseball team you beat over the weekend. That was great. They're great. They're great. The key going into that is we didn't have to match what they did throughout the course of the season. We had to find a way to win two games. And we tried to express that to our guys when we knew where we were going. And you look at the – statistical dominance and the dominance through the SEC, we had to win two of the three. And and our guys embraced that competition. Uh, The versatility of our team, like we've talked about, the versatility of our team, the unselfishness of the pitching staff, that was the difference. And I felt like our guys were built for that moment. It's so fun to watch this. You know, some of those videos I, I haven't even had a chance to really enjoy yet, but their engagement in the competition, their work, their understanding that that was probably one of, if not the neatest three-game series that the sport has seen. Um, Just so proud of them and their work. And the feeling I had when we turned the double play to end it, to watch them enjoy that moment like nothing they've ever enjoyed in athletics, I had the most relaxed feeling I think I've ever had in a dugout coaching just to watch them savor that moment and I had never felt so calm and so complete for that group of guys they have been through but if you look at what we went through in 2020 2021 and this season and where we've had to go and what they've had to do I just absolutely ate it up 
I'll never forget that feeling. They'll never forget it. And I felt a lot different as a player in that moment than I did as a coach. And I cherish their work and the caliber of people that are in that dugout with us. Phenomenal coaching staff, players, administrators. It takes all of those things to move the needle. And these guys have moved it about as far as you can push it. Link, there is this thought that every piece of this is a step and you take something off the previous step to the next step. We talked last week about, you know, playing in Statesboro. And then when we talked about Knoxville, we went back and visited on the Starkville piece from a year ago. Now this is Omaha. This is a whole different deal. How do you process one and carry over to this when it's been 20 years since Notre Dame has been to this venue? Yeah, well, the ball doesn't know. The game doesn't know. Yeah. You, you have to go play the game. And mm-hmm. we're going to go to Rosenblatt Stadium as soon as we land today just to let them take this in. Because when you get 50 minutes of practice, it starts and it's over before you ever figure out what's going on. Um, I want them to see it and feel it so that that thought and embracing the facility and what that facility represents, that's over with. Okay, so that's plan one of how to go about it. And then we're only in this because of the execution and the caliber of play on a national stage. And when you say national, like on a map national stage of where we've had to go. So this is another instance of walking onto a field and having to perform and execute. And let's get the surroundings and the familiarity with what this looks like and feels like out of the way as soon as we can, then lock back in on trying to execute and perform. That's that's how we're going to approach it today. And once we feel through today, we'll assess what feels like the right thing um, heading into the weekend. But these guys will embrace it, and then they'll lock in. Link, uh, last hour we talked to Curtis Strange, a uh, legendary golfer that won the U.S. Open at Brookline and back in 88. And it's an old-style golf course, and Curtis was always a great grinder. Fairways, greens, two putts, par, let's go. And, you know, par normally is a great score in the U.S. Open. Uh, and I think about your team. Great pitching. You got the best team ERA of the eight that are still going. You're going to a ballpark that's going to be completely counter to what you saw in Knoxville, which is a little bandbox that, hey, if a ball gets up, man, that thing could get out of here, as you found out, for the good and for the bad, because Tennessee went yard a bunch, especially that Saturday game. And then, of course, you guys take care of business on Sunday going back-to-back in the seventh. So does the question to you is, is your team built perfectly for this ballpark. I know you got Texas on Friday. They're a great team. Everybody's still standing is hot and playing well. But are you built just right for the ballpark moving forward in Omaha? I've seen it, you know, and I I got to go watch JT and NC State last year and I watched the games and it is far different than Knoxville. Far far different. Um, I think our stadium, we have a big field. Um, it plays a little bit more like we're going to see in Omaha. It's bigger. Uh, you know, the grass there is usually thick and balls don't shoot through there like you might see at some places. The outfielders have to cover a lot of ground and there's usually some sort of wind 
that's in play in the Midwest. So we're used to that. And I think the athleticism of our outfield and the ability to range and catch balls, various angles, you really saw it in every outfield position this past weekend. Mm -hmm. So we are built for that. Um, And then the versatility offensively, when you're playing Texas, they've they've got great arms, phenomenal defensive team. You're going to have to try to create within the confines of them probably not handing you a lot of extra opportunities. So we're built for it. But like you said, the other teams in this are built pretty good too. So then you get into the the subtleties and the nuances within this level of competition. Um, and that'll be the separator in, in the whole championship. Yeah. Link, you mentioned uh, you know three times as a player you made this trip. I mean, playing for one of the great guys in college baseball. You know that. We all do. Um, terrific teams. You go to old Rosenblatt. Now you go downtown. You play in the market. I. It's funny. You mentioned going to see JT play last year, and I, that kind of slipped my mind that you would be there. But in some ways, does that make it feel a little more comfortable making this trip, knowing, hey, okay, I've seen this ballpark downtown, the new big spaceship ballpark that everybody talked about, you know, that it wasn't hit it out on the freeway like it was at old Rosenblatt. Now you go downtown around the market. It's a different vibe environment-wise. Omaha still embraces the event. And I, I kind of think it's cool you're going to take the team to the ballpark when you land today because that's just one piece of the whole Omaha experience that hasn't changed since you played. Yeah, no, it hasn't. It's, it's just phenomenal. In the, the opening weekend of this, from the time we land um, through this first weekend – I think it's one of the great spectacles in athletics. I really do. You could put it right up there with any of the big events. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been to countless national championship football games, the Masters. Like, I just feel like that weekend and how that city loves and embraces the event and then the teams in the event, what I experienced last year, was just amazing as a parent and I'm up in the stands and I wasn't in the best of moods at that point. You can imagine kind of the, the whirlwind that had occurred not being there. Um, I mean, there was a chance I, I was going to coach against my own son in the college world series. And so there's a lot of unique things that were going on. So this year, you know, we'll change seats. Now I'm down in the dugout and, you know, my Jen, my wife's up there. Jen's up there again watching Dawson, my daughter. They're locked in. And then JT's up there probably thinking about, you know, their run and how they didn't quite have a chance to, to make it back into this. I, I thought they should have, but that's water under the bridge. So just such a unique moment. But, yes, having seen that and, and absorbed the spectacle that it is that first weekend, no doubt it's going to help. And I'll talk to our team here shortly as we wrap up practice about the feeling and what's going on with so many people that want to be a part of your experience. And we, we do have to stay focused, enjoy the spectacle, but stay focused on the task at hand. These opportunities are very difficult to achieve. So we don't want a lack of focus to be an issue for us. I will say, cannot wait for them to take this in and feel the emotion and the presence of that event, those people, the way it's run, 
the other teams, the other fans. It's a stockpile of excitement when you roll in there today. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, the other thing I think that helps you too, Link, is that you've got an old team. You got experienced guys. I mean, it's not the kid that's going to be, you know, bug eyed walking around going, oh my God. I mean, you guys have been through a bunch of stuff together. And, you know, you hear that term team. Man, it really does mean something at Notre Dame, given how old and experienced and, and you've been through some highs, you've been through some lows, you've gone through the COVID routine. You just talked about that a second ago. What you did this past weekend in Knoxville was one of the great upsets. I know you guys didn't think so because you were going, hey, we're here gonna we're there to win two games and get the mustard stains out of our uniforms from all the bottles being thrown. But you've got all the experience. I, I think your guys will embrace that like, hey. This is another punch ticket. Let's go take care of business. And like you said, it's all about execution now. The team that executes the best gets the key two-out hits. They're going to be a dog pile for somebody waiting for them in Omaha. And why not Notre Dame? No doubt. Um, These guys, they have been through as much as any college team that I can ever remember. And as much as you guys study it, just to look at – you know, the coaching changed. These guys lived it. They had to buy into a whole new way of doing things. Like, it's new verbiage, new signs, everything. Uh, so, they've run the gamut in terms of facing challenges. And when you're older, you probably just by age have had to deal with a lot, some good, some bad. And yes, we do. And these guys that are seniors, they have to get into graduate school at Notre Dame. Um, so that experience and going through that to, to earn your, your COVID year, that's added that layer. And then some of the grad transfers that have really embraced everything that makes Notre Dame so special in a one-year sprint for them, they've been just a blend into what we're doing, even though some of them will only be here one calendar year truly remarkable and yes to have age maturity a sense of who we are because you've played together so much undoubtedly helps you perform in this now i will say even if you've been in the event a few years i think when it starts and that first game is thrown pitch number one it's still a unique feeling so i think every team the ones that have been here before and obviously our guys haven't I think you still have a little bit of that adrenaline and necessity to try to relax and get right into what helps you from a competitive standpoint how quickly you can transition into that that might be the difference in a win and loss I think Wes froze on us for a second. Listen, uh, we wish you the very best. I know you're He's on a speechless. tight schedule. Yeah, well, you know what? You left all of us speechless after what you pulled in Knoxville over the up. weekend. <laughs> locked him up. Hey, safe travels, Link. We really appreciate it, man. Take care of yourself. We'll be rooting for you. All right. Thank you guys for all you do. You got it. There's Link Jarrett, head baseball coach in Notre Dame, and they are headed to Omaha. They get Texas on Friday evening at 7 p.m. It's all good. When we come back... Talk about the ACC in the classroom as well. Completely dominant. And I know you're not going to be surprised. We'll find uh, West Durham maybe, perhaps, for the last segment. All that's coming up. Packer and Durham, ACC Network. Here's Mark Packer and West Durham.
Packer and Durham, final segment on a Wednesday show. Link Jared said he left you speechless, West Durham. Left you speechless. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. You know, um, I will, uh, I'm, I'm going to follow with this. And it, it is interesting in a Notre Dame kind of way. And look, we don't know how the games are going to go. That's why we play them. But the 20-year anniversary of their last World Series trip celebrated this year with Paul Maneri and Steve Stanley and all these terrific players they had 20 years ago. Then this team that's got David LaManna and Jared Miller, who are two grad students at Notre Dame, they've kind of been there all along through the Mick Aoki to the you know, Link Jarrett transition pack. It just feels like Notre Dame's kind of got that vibe a little bit, you know? And I hate, I'm going to hate to draw this comparison, but it feels a little bit like NC State last year that had some of those guys that had kind of been through some things in the previous two, three years with their baseball team, right? The cancellation of the season, come back, that kind of deal. So I'm excited to watch them play Friday night against Texas, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, Longhorns are great, but it just feels like Notre Dame's got all the ingredients to be successful in this event. Should be. By the way, speaking of Paul Maneri, he will join us coming up on Friday to uh, reminisce of those Notre Dame days and all that good stuff. But uh, again, all these teams that are still standing, all eight, they've earned it. And you know what? It's still baseball, right? And and to say, I know Texas is, quote unquote, the favorite based on the odds and all that stuff. Hey, as Link Jared just said, whoever executes the best is going to win it. And that's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what your record is. doesn't matter where you're seated or not seated. Whatever that number is beside your name means squat. But uh, Notre Dame, Texas on Friday night at 7, first pitch. Weather permitting, of course, in Omaha this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Might be hot and it might rain. (laughs) Guaranteed. right? (laughs) Guaranteed lock on Uh, both of those. Final couple minutes here. Congratulations to Jamie Ortega. Won the Honda Spirit Award last night for lacrosse, which makes her a finalist for the Collegiate Female Athlete of the Year. Uh, Terrific honor for North Carolina's star in women's lacrosse. Friend of the show. Uh, (laughs) In almost a, uh, a bit of irony, Charlotte North was named the ACC's Women's Lacrosse Student Athlete of the Year. At the same time, on the same day, uh, two of the premier stars, not just in the ACC, in the sport period. And congratulations to both Jamie and Charlotte on just another trophy to go on the mantle of their unbelievable careers at Carolina and BC, respectively. Yep, both are superstars, class acts. They've been on the show multiple times. They're enjoyable to talk to. They do great work academically. They're spectacular with the sport they play. They handle themselves with class. It's exactly what Mm -hmm. you expect uh, from ACC student-athletes. Yeah. Um, Speaking of academics, yesterday's uh, APR announcement, the Academic Progress Report from the uh, NCAA, Once again, the ACC kind of headlines the report when it comes to Power Five leagues. All football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and baseball programs exceeded the required APR. Highest APR among Power Five conferences, football, basketball, cross-country, swimming and diving, tied, and wrestling. And when we say basketball, we're talking about men's and women's. So, or men's sports, I should say here. Men on this list, and then you'll see women here in just a moment, which also include um, golf, soccer, swimming and diving, tennis and track and field for the ladies. So the ACC, again, highest APR among Power Five 
conferences in those particular sports. Uh, that is the worst kept secret known to man is that the ACC is dominating from an academic standpoint. Uh, and when I saw that release yesterday, I was like, yeah, well, that's par for the course. That's how this league rolls. And uh, it's what kind of separates everybody, right? I mean, we talk about winning yep. championships. The league this year has won, what, six or seven national championships. Got a chance to win another one with Notre Dame, uh, which I believe ties the all-time mark for the conference. Uh, academically, it's on another stratosphere. So it's what separates the ACC from everybody else. Simple as that. I know there's some leagues that don't put a whole lot of emphasis on academics, but we do in this conference and take a great deal of pride in it. Yep. There you go. Uh, quick, we showed you athletic mascots yesterday. Um, real quick picture here. This doesn't need a lot of attention because, hey, whoa, whoa, Buzz. Hey, excuse me? Hanging out in the heat. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. There you have it. Hot By the way, uh, Wes, no you, th- you think it's a, you think it's a little warm in that uh, uniform right there, middle of the oh. summer? Huh? A little smoking hot I today. Wouldn't stand for you? close to him. Wouldn't stand close to Buzz. I can tell you that. Man's got to go to the cleaners. Uh, two a days tomorrow. Virginia and Louisville on the docket, and NC State quarterback Devin Leary will be our guest tomorrow in the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, thanks to Josh Macri, Angela Travato, Chrissy! Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.